A while back, I had a very memorable time talking to Anna's Lindell, discussing many fascinating aspects of global macro trading. There was one part in particular that I wanted to share where Anna's talks about and discusses his understanding on U.S. institutions and how they deal with their asset allocation and in particular the sizing of their alternative investments. So get ready to listen to some truly great insights from Anna's Lindell. And if you would like to listen to the full conversation, just go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 23 and also forward slash 24. we jump into the first sort of uh, topic uh, more specifically to to IPM I want to ask you you mentioned the traditional 6040 uh, bond stock or stock bond depending on whether you were European or US institution they seem to have a little bit of a different uh, uh, asset allocation as far as I remember mm-hmm. um, but the world has changed in the last 10 20 30 years of course and I just wonder from a really big picture point of view how do you see them dealing with this asset allocation not from from what you do but from what they do and how they may interact with firms like you i mean are they becoming more open so it's not just 48 uh, you know 52 that they change to or whatever it might be i mean are they trying, starting to take bolder decisions in their uh, in their own asset allocation there's a whole range of answers to that. I think generally uh, the answer would be yes okay. uh, on sort of a global basis. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if you look at, at U.S. Uh, institutional investors, they probably come further than um, than uh, European their European counterparts in uh, allocating very significant parts uh, of the risk budget to you know. Uh, folks like ourselves and and, and generally hedge funds, uh, whereas uh, you know in Europe finding a long term institution having a hedge fund allocation exceeding three four five percent would be unusual. Um, you know finding the same in uh, in the US would would be the norm, uh, being north of that mm. even up to ten fifteen percent. Okay. That would be the norm. Um, but then you know you have obviously various examples. I mean, if you look at your own native country and the big pension fund there, ATP, they instituted, I believe, about ten years ago, a radically different um, asset allocation uh, structure mm-hmm. from the traditional, where they basically—and you can correct me if I'm wrong here—but <laughs> basically what they do is they sort of equal weight their risk budget across you know ten, fifteen different. Um, uh, different asset classes, ranging yeah. from infrastructure to, um, you know, uh, traditional markets. Sure. Uh, so people are doing a, a, a large number of different things, but I think the general observation holds true that North Americans, generally speaking, uh, are much more into seeking alternative sources and allocating significant parts of the risk budget to those alternative sources of returns than than Europeans are. Sure. Um, obviously, this also has something to do with, uh, you know, the state generally of, of the pension systems. <clears throat> uh, if you look at U.S. pensions, uh, corporate and state, they are generally underfunded to a very large degree, mm. uh, you know, 60, 70 uh, percent funding ratio, whereas most 
European countries um, that has funded pension systems uh, would have um, significantly higher funding ratios. Um, many of them actually 100% or better. Okay. So th- this obviously changes uh, your long-term strategic allocation. Yes, you've got to match liabilities, but if you're underfunded, um, and if you're running something at 70% funding ratio, then uh, you better seek uh, methods to, to make up for the, um, for the shortfall um, pretty quickly. Another major point that I want to mention mm. is actually time horizon or investment horizon. Okay. Um, you, you know, people may trade in or out or, or create trends and, and, and prices may deviate. You know, it's just noise. Mm over shorter time, time spans. And we're trying to step back and avoid that by, by explicitly trading and holding positions a longer period of time. A couple of things um, comes to mind when you say that. I mean, in one sense, um, it, it, it actually is a great injustice, not just to your strategy, but to many strategies you can say, is to for investors to look at these things on a monthly basis and kind of judge you on based what, what did you do last month. Because what you're really saying is that part of of the uh, success is having the ability to take a much longer view and not be concerned about you know an adverse move uh, over the next few weeks because you know it's going to work out maybe over the next few months um, but I also wanted to to uh, ask you a little bit just position sizing is is that the secret sauce do you think meaning that um, a lot of the themes that you end up in, and 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 I I imagine a lot of the strategies and positions you end up in would be somewhat similar to other global macro managers. But I do note that you've done quite well compared to your peers. And do you think position sizing is part of the of the success that you simply, yeah, manage the risk differently? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think there are several parts to it and, 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 and several moving parts here. What, what I tend to say to clients that want to evaluate what it is we're doing is that nine out of 10 clients, um, you know, for good measure, I'll throw in the, the consulting community here too. Um, they are spending way too much time focusing on what we refer to as those risk factors. Right. They want to, to know them all and you know they're looking at purchasing power parity and they want to understand exactly how we build that particular factor while noting that academically speak, speaking, PPP has a mean reversion time of sure. what, 50 years. Clearly not investable. Sure. And they're spending all of their time trying to understand, you know, do you have the right alpha sources? Are they advanced enough? Uh, are they sophisticated? Do they differ from your competition? And, you know, that guy over there, they also have PPP factors. Well, you know, yeah, those alpha sources, <clears throat> risk factors, yes, they're important, obviously. They're very important. But risk and portfolio construction, respectively, contribute you know, to the same degree to the final result. So I would say, you know, spend one third of your time trying to understand what we do on the alpha side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other third you should spend on on risk management, and the third third you should spend on 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 understanding our portfolio construction. It's very interesting because um, I mean it seems to me that uh, maybe unlike uh, a lot of people doing relative value, where I think to some degree they're trying to take out the volatility of their returns um, by doing you know relative value. Uh, what you're doing is saying we're doing relative value, but we're actually 
okay with having volatility in our returns because we can't we can't remove volatility from inherently underlying assets that are volatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's um, that's an interesting observation. I, th- I think you know another way is, is of 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 looking at it is to say that you know the volatility that we get and certainly some of the drawdowns that we as everyone else gets they are the price you have to pay uh, because you don't have obviously perfect insight in our specific case we believe we have the right positions but the timing we don't really know when markets are going to start moving back to that sort of longer term equilibrium so we have a problem of timing that's what we simply say we start building positions uh, we increase positions as the opportunity increases you know to a good degree yeah and meanwhile you know we, we're not happy but we're prepared to take the losses to build that position and uh, we are happy to take the or we have to accept the the associated volatility because again we don't know where the market is going to turn what keeps you awake at night meaning what is the risk that you fear the most because at some point there is obviously something that you know you can't guard against you know, even with the most elaborate strategy and 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 risk management, uh, what, what would that be? Uh, generally speaking, I, I I sleep very well. My wife uh, <laughs> would be the first to testify to that. Sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, what, if anything, would keep me awake at night? Uh, situations when markets quite apparently. Uh, behave irrationally right and certainly when they continue behaving and pretty much everyone would agree they, they continue behaving irrationally for for some time mm. uh, because then we find our, ourselves in a situation where you know we cannot expect the model to act in a predictable fashion mm. whether we make money or not sure. or, or lose money or not is entirely random mm. such a scenario and we're not in the game of, of of sort of taking big positions in, and we do take pretty significant positions in this program. Sure. Uh, it's not really built to to uh, collect on 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 random behavior, right. and these scenarios they they you know they 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 do occur from time to time, when we're focusing on something completely different. Sure. Do you think the risk of of markets behaving completely irrational has that increased in 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 the last few years with so much involvement from politicians and central banks? Uh, or is this just part? I, yeah, I think most most people looking at um, their lives trading experience, you know, of my age, we've been talking about twenty twenty five years. They would probably say that's true. On the other hand, if you then if you read, uh, read um, whatever book on the topic and you go back to the Dutch <laughs> tulip mania or you know sure. uh, market crashes in the late 1800s, etc., I'm not so sure that market uh, and investor irrationality has increased over time. Okay. I think we, we we feel that at the current time, sure. probably, but uh, that's only because our time window is too short. Sure. I want to jump to the next topic, uh, just again very briefly. Um, it's just a little bit about drawdowns. Um, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about what what one should expect in terms of drawdown uh, from a strategy like yours, but also want to ask you um, how you cope with being in a drawdown. Uh, I noticed that obviously your drawdowns are not that large, if I can say put it like that. Um, 
Um, but you know, uh, the emotional roller coaster that uh, we uh, tend to go in, uh, if if we are in a drawdown, especially if it's a deep one, but also if it's a long one, uh, can be you know that's part of what's being hard. I think about being uh, in in this business. So I just want to sort of maybe ask you a little bit about how you uh, how how you cope uh, with with these things emotionally. And maybe that's not from a recent example, but but maybe sort of over your career. Mm. No, I think. Um a main source of strength in, in, in this type scenario is that we are systematic. Right. Had we been uh, discretionary traders and, and you would face some of the drawdowns that we've had and mm. uh, you know, probably our largest drawdown would have qualified for you know, uh, us losing the money if we had we been on a prop desk almost immediately right. uh, or at least seeing it halved or, or whatever taken away. But as we are systematic, one, we, we have to seek comfort in the fact that we believe the model is right over time. We believe this is temporary, and eventually, it, it will come. It will come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we start tampering with the model, or, or or we start sort of adding to delivering by by discretionary measure or or, or, or such things, then then in all likelihood, we're only going to make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. So. This is a program that we traded for a very long time. We put you know enormous amount of manpower and brain power into the development of it. We believe it has proven itself. So, you know, the the main main thing here is really to seek comfort in the fact that we're systematic, and and this really comes down to you know um, one of the reasons for being systematic in the first place right. is to avoid exactly this emotional behavior. Mm. Um, you would you would be most inclined to kill your positions just when it feels the most uncomfortable. That's it for today. Remember that if you want to continue listening to the full episodes, please go to toptradersunplugcom forward slash 23 and forward slash 24. If you enjoyed this short, insightful clip from a past episode of the show, then you will love the free book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following and includes some of my best insights on this perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. You can get your free copy at toptradersonflog.com forward slash book right now and you can start your own journey today. Just head over to toptradersonflog.com forward slash book and make sure to tune back into the podcast or or YouTube channel next week for more exciting and engaging conversations. Thank you.